Hey, are you here? Or are you there? Or maybe you're over there. Ah, I see you're here, listening to the Paul Leslie Hour, an interview show going strong for 18-plus years, as seen in the New York Times, HuffPost, Entertainment Tonight, The Hollywood Reporter, and The Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Well, our Jessica Molaski interviews coming up. But first, a word to the wise. You can contribute and help keep the Paul Leslie Hour going. Just visit www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. Yes, you can be a patron of the spoken word and supporter of independent media. Uh-huh. So just what do we have for you on this episode? We're featuring an interview with Jessica Malaski, a singer of Broadway and Torch songs. Jessica Malaski talks with Paul Leslie about her music-filled life, her recorded discography. Oh, and there's Radio Deluxe, the radio program she co-hosts with her husband, John Pizzarelli, and so much more. Okay, everything's in place. Let's hear that interview with Jessica Malaski. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our great pleasure to welcome our special guest, Broadway actress, recording artist, concert vocalist, and radio personality, Jessica Malaski. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure, Paul. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. How are you? Great. It's a beautiful summer day here in New York City. What part of New York are you in? I live in the Upper West Side. I think most stories are best from the beginning. What was life like growing up for you? I grew up in a very rural spot in Connecticut. It wasn't very far as the crow flies, but intellectually it was as far away as you could possibly have gotten from Manhattan. And my mother worked at a radio, small radio station in Connecticut and would bring home, this is during the years of LPs, bring home records that had like little chips in them that they couldn't use on the radio anymore. And there was a guy who had a, a Sunday night Broadway show. And she would bring me home Barbara Cook records and Stephen Sondheim shows and, you know, company and specific overtures and you name it. And I would go in my basement and that was it for me. I was done. But I also had got records from like Blossom Deary and people of that ilk as well, Peggy Lee. And so I had it coming from both sides, which really is interesting because that's how I ended up pretty much making my living for the past 15 years. What was it about these people like Sondheim and some of these other songwriters? What was it about their songs that you liked so much? Well, Sondheim, even Sondheim is a genius. I mean, it's like saying, you know, what do you like about Brahms? I mean, it's it's just there and it's it's so poetic and it's so deep on so many, always on so many levels, lyrically and musically. And it just spoke to me. It's from such a young age and I just really wanted to go to New York and work with people like Stephen Sondheim and, Hal Prince and people that were changing the face of the theater, and I was lucky enough to get to do that on several occasions. I don't know if Stephen Sondheim today, if he didn't have people like Hal Prince, if he would have been able to be produced, which is a sad thought, if he were born, you know, some 40, 50 years later. Do you think that the quality of music has gone down in terms of what's being released today? No, no, not at all. I mean, there's amazing... I feel very lucky to be growing up in a time where there's a boon, actually, of great composers writing to the theater. Now, whether or not they make it to Broadway is, is another story, but they're still out there and finding their way. I mean, the fact that Manuel Miranda 
got his show to Broadway, Hamilton is just, it's just, I think it's his sheer genius and, and will, but that's an anomaly, really. There's plenty of people like Ricky and Gordon and even Adam Gettle who still have pieces that are brilliant that have never been produced in, in any major house in New York, which is just really too bad. But they're still, they still live and kids are finding them. How did you begin to develop your voice? Like, was it just a natural talent with you? Well, I did sing every night when I was a little kid, as I said, in my basement to these records that I got. And then what happened was I got, when I was in college in New York City, I heard that there was an audition for something for Oklahoma. And I knew somebody that was involved because of a summer stock show that I'd done the year before. But I'd never sung, and I had one little crinkled up, never sung in front of people. I had the How Are Things in Glockamora, and I went and sang it, and I got it. And then when I got in a Broadway show, I realized, oh, I mean, you have to study every week to be able to sing every day. It's not the good days. It's for the bad days. It's the days that you have colds. It's the days where you are challenged with a kind of role that's so exhausting that you have to learn how to choose your battles. So I studied pretty much for on and off for the years after I started to, to work while I was in college. The life of an artist as it is today for you, do you think that people have... People have kind of a misconception in terms of maybe they don't realize how demanding it is. Well, I think the life of an artist is much more revered now than it was when I was growing up. I mean, kids go and study jazz guitar at university, at conservatories. They're looking at breaking down George Van Epps solos like they're, it's high art. That this is like a different time where I think people are, you know, parents are willing to spend $60,000 a year for a kid to go and express themselves through their art. That said, I know, especially specifically, well, for instance, I just talked to my husband who, you know, got worked all week in California, just got up at four, getting on a plane to come back, and we're working on something that we'll get in a car to go do. It's just that part of it for the musician is so much of it is getting to the actual concert. It seems very romantic, but that's a lot of four o'clock in the morning. But also with Broadway shows, people say, well, you have the whole day off and you don't have to go to work till eight. And But that's not really true. You spend a good deal of your time making sure that your body is in shape and healthy, your voice is in shape. You know, there's always that point around three o'clock in the afternoon that where you know, oh, I got to do this in a couple of hours in front of 1,500 people or whatever. You know, it's been a while since I've done a Broadway show because... Ever, actually, since my daughter's been in high school, I felt more and more it, that it was important for me to be home for those years and not leaving just as they are coming home from school. So I've taken a little bit of more time than I actually feel comfortable with, but I only have one more year with that, and so I'm try- cherishing it as much as I possibly can. For anyone who listens to your albums, there's a lot of different material. I mean, there's the torch songs, the the show tunes... Then you have these selections that are interesting, like Summer Highland Falls. How do you go about selecting what songs you're going to record? Well, they have to have a beginning, a middle, and an end for me. And they have to speak to me from an emotional standpoint or emotionally, musically emotional standpoint. Summer Highland Falls is from a great Billy Joel record that I cherished as a kid. And I've always thought that that first line... They say that these are not the best of times, but they're the only times I've ever known. It's one of the great beginnings of a song. And we put it into sort of a bossa nova, and I think the bossa nova kind of sort of went to the the meat of the emotion of the song. I like to try 
to find now, especially I just finished doing a Joni Mitchell show this past year, show what American, what the new standards are. And I certainly think that people like Billy Joel and Paul Simon and James Taylor and Joni Mitchell are writing great, great standards. I mean, James Taylor's new record has new standards on it. John just did a record of Paul McCartney songs that's coming out in September called Midnight McCartney. They're the post Beatles songs that actually Sir Paul actually wrote John a letter and asked him if he would consider doing it. And so we, I actually co-produced it and we went in and just realizing what great love songs these are that, that, that Paul wasn't afraid to say, I love you in a song like, you know, silly love songs and well-crafted song is a well-crafted song. It speaks to the heart. That's what we look for. In talking about your husband and your frequent collaborator, John Pizzarelli, what was your first impression the first time you met him? Well, the first time I saw him, I was at San Francisco Opera doing Tommy, playing Mrs. Walker in The Who Tommy. And I had a cute little apartment in the, in the Union Square, Union Street section in the marina. And I came home and the Tonight Show was on and I was making like a little late night snack for myself after the show. And I heard this guy say, I hear Jay Leno say, John Pizzarelli. And then I thought, that's a funny name. And then I hear this guy, and I hear him playing the guitar. I thought, holy mackerel. And then I hear him start scatting to his guitar. And I had to put down what I was cooking and go into the living room and say, and watch him. And I thought, oh, my God, that guy's unbelievable. And it was like a month and a half later that, no, I guess it was more like six months later, that I got a call from my agent saying they were interested in me doing a show on Broadway called Dream. And I asked who else was in it, and they said, John Pizzarelli. And I said, oh, God, that guy's amazing. How bad could it be? And then I, of course, learned how bad it could be. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, and we immediately hit it off from a musical standpoint. It was a musical review, and there were some problematic things going on. And I sort of said, I'm going to go over in this corner with this guy. And I know if I, if I sing with this guy, I'll have all the right chords. The rest is history. When you all write together, what is that process like? It can be either way. Sometimes I'll have a lyric written down and I'll hand it to John. Sometimes he'll have a title and say, and with a little bit of music, and he'll say, go write this for me. So it just depends upon, and sometimes we'll just, like, there, there was a, a couple of years ago, we just sat and wrote a bunch of originals in the summertime. We have a little place upstate, and we sat, we'd sit on the dock and we'd just start riffing on a song, literally write it together as it was happening. So it's, it, it's all different ways. It's, we usually don't do well without an assignment. Without an assignment, what do you mean by that? We very rarely just write a song for the sake of writing a song. We're better at if somebody says, oh, we need a song for this, or we have an album, or we want to, we try to put at least one original song in all of our CDs, because we feel like it's good to just have them out in the world that way, you know? I was reading about your love of Sondheim, and you talked about your, your love of Sondheim, and it's interesting, like all of the people, not only through your music, but also through your radio program, all of the people that you've had a chance to meet. Mm. Who, who's been the most thrilling to meet? Oh. You know what it is? I always say to my daughter, I think that I don't, without getting too cosmic, there is something I think about the law of detraction, that if you love something enough, you sort of, it's sort of, you find your way to it magnetically. And it's not so much meeting people like Sondheim or like Hal Prince. It's those moments that you have where you feel like, oh, this has become like my family or something. You know, I end up 
Hal has made me part of his family on so many occasions where, you know, you'll be singing in Christmas carols or something with, and you think, how did I get here? It's so much more than just the art. It's the, it's the familial aspect of our business and how small it is and, and tender it is. Or those late nights, you know, at a late night tech or dark rehearsal or something and you're sitting in a seat next to your hero like Stephen Sondheim. But certainly, you know, I've gotten to meet a, a lot of people come to see us that you just kind of pinch yourself. You know, I was a huge Donald Fagan fan growing up and he's come to see us on several occasions and, oh gosh, just so many people, writers, you know, especially at the Carlisle where we play every year. That That is a, an interesting mix of people that come there on any given night. Politicians and, you know, heads of state. We you know we sang it for the um, Supreme Court a couple of years ago and had dinner in Justice Ginsburg, Ginsburg's chambers. I mean, sitting there and talking to her, she's one of the most remarkable people I've ever on the planet, you know. Yes, very lucky, very lucky that somehow making music, playing instruments does bring you into rooms with extraordinary people. What is your impression of Dave Fishberg? Well, that's not to love about Dave Frischberg. I've worked with him several times. We, he's hilariously funny, incredibly self-deprecating, brilliantly talented. As a matter of fact, I've been thinking a lot about him lately. I haven't, he lives in Portland and he lives a very quiet life. Sometimes he's a little hard to, to reach. He doesn't do the email thing. But what a great career he's had. And then he's a really accomplished musician. But I think a lot of his, his witty lyrics are on par to somebody like Sondheim. As a matter of fact, years ago, I went to see Dave at the Algonquin at the Oak Room, and Sondheim was there laughing laughing hysterically. And what about Jason Robert Brown? What do you think of him? <laughs> I did his Jason's first two shows. He's a very, very good friend of mine. And met him when he was 23 years old, and he wanted me to do this review of his songs. And, I said, and he said, I'll play you some. And he sat down at the piano, and he's an incredible pianist. And he started playing the song, Gold Stars in the Moon. I said, when did you write that song? And it's all about a, you know, a middle-aged, Upper East Side, disillusioned housewife and who's standing on the roof of her house, threatening her husband to jump off the roof. And I said, he said, I wrote it when I was 19. I said, well, how do you do that? How do you write that song when you're 19 and you live in Muncie, New York? He's, you know, he's just one of those people. He's extraordinarily gifted. His show, Honeymoon in Vegas, this year that came in, was one of the greatest, best scores I've heard in years and years, and I think was much sadly overlooked by the critics. Well, the critics loved it, but the uh, Tony, by the time the Tonys came around, they had been cl- they were closed. So it's a, a rough business. Hmm. Broadway. Broadway's become, you know, a very interesting place. It's all or nothing. The radio program that you co-host, Radio Deluxe. Mm-hmm. What is that experience like for you when you're doing it? Well, we literally do do it at our in our deluxe living room. You know, we do it do it at our actually our dining room table. John and I go into our separate corners and we come up with when we first met each other, we sort of would do these kind of sets for each other. You know, we'd make each other dinner and I'd play Johnny Mitchell meets Jackson Brown and take each other on a kind of musical journey. And so that's kind of what we do. We'll we talk about what's happening in in town or what happening in our lives and they'll play a new song or an old song that moves us it's it's fun i mean we it's hard for us to find the time to do it but when we do we really do enjoy it and and slowly but surely we've gaining quite a very lovely following a loving following i'd like to say people seem to really enjoy it and it's it's changed our lives 
in terms of our live shows because we go, I mean, we just went up to Toronto to the Toronto Jazz Festival and our show does very well up there, our WAM Jazz FM up there in Toronto. And we came out and there were 2,000 people there cheering because they listen to us every Saturday. So they feel like they know us, which is a whole different ball game than going out cold on the stage and having to win an audience over. They already, they're already won. We have them at hello, you know, because they're with us every week. It's just such a different radio program than from what is out there. I don't really know. I don't, with the exception of Jonathan Schwartz in here in New York City, I don't really listen to the radio. But I think that the radio is coming back because a lot of people are sitting at computers and multitasking. And so whatever way, and it's easy, it's more interesting ways of disseminating radio and information when you want to. You know, people go jog, jogging and they listen to our radio show on their little devices. So it's interesting. It's interesting. And I just think that, you know, it's not, Rhapsody or what all those places, things that you like Spotify, you know, it's, it's actually two people telling stories about their life, asking questions. It's interactive. If you want to write us, you can, you know, and so it's going, I think it's kind of going back to an old fashioned connection and not just like a computer deciding what music that you should hear. In addition to the radio program, the performing that you do, the recorded albums that you've made, With you and Mr. Pizzarelli, would you say that there is a greater mission to your lives? What do you think it's all about? I had a director once. I asked a question, and he said, oh, come on now. We're not curing cancer here. It's just this is what it is. And I thought, oh, I'm sorry. I thought maybe we were, maybe even if it's just for an hour. And can't tell you how many, I mean, all we we know how to do is make music and hopefully joyful music or music that touches your heart and gives you a release or whatever. But I can't tell you how many letters we get that say, yeah, I came here and I was my, you know, I just found out this or my mother just died. And there's a reason why humor and music that we need it. There's a reason that we gather, even if it's around the radio, where we spend the $150 that we don't have to just go listen to someone make music. We need it. And that's what I believe. I think music is the only way I know how to do surgery. (laughs) <laughs> hmm. Wow. I wasn't good at science and math. <laughs> so at the risk of sounding hyperbolic, I think that music does save lives in some degree or changes them or expands it. it expands it. So when you're singing a song and you're up on stage, what do you want people to get out of the experience? Well, I mostly try when I sing to, I don't really think about it that much, but try to serve the song and the writer as much as possible. Because that's the song is to, to me the thing, and the more that you can get aw- away from your how can I say this expounding on the song, or that's why I have a lot of trouble with people changing melodies, especially not establishing the melody. A lot of jazz singers decide that they'll take a nice Gershwin song and decide to rewrite it, and then I stop. Some often I stop listening to the song and start listening just to the singer, but. I hope, if if I can say anything about my singing over the years, that I hope it makes people listen to the song and not necessarily the singer. Wow. What do you want to do that you have not done yet? Oh, I want a big, fat, juicy lead in a big Broadway show. I haven't had one in a long time. And I feel like my life is 
twirling towards that because I am going to have more time in the next year. After next year, when my daughter goes off to college, and pretty much the sky's the limit. Let's see if there hope that there is some such a thing for a person of a certain age. It's you know you start to get older and people don't write rate parts for women, and if I have to write my own, maybe I will do that. <laughs> but I'm working on a few things in that capacity. But I'm, I really do miss working in the theater. I'd love to get back to that, and I'm sure that will happen. What is the best thing about being Jessica Mulaski? Oh, well, I'm pretty lucky that I'm married to John Pizzarelli and that I have two beautiful children, and I would say that's the best thing, and I have amazing, incredibly talented friends that I've made over the years who are also my family. You know, I've had some funky jobs over the, my life. <laughs> you know, selling weekly readers over the phone was not a lot of fun. But And I feel like I've gotten hopefully to a place in my life where I get to do what I love to do and make a living, and that's a great blessing. So this is a totally open-ended question. What would you say to anyone listening in? I guess just cherish every moment that you have and be grateful that you woke up and music is good. Our special guest has been Jessica Mulaski. The website is jessicamulaski.com. That's M-O-L-A-S. K-E-Y. My last question. Mm. Who is Jessica Mulaski? I have no idea. If you find out, will you write me on jessicamulaski.com? <laughs> <laughs> when we find out, we, you know, we don't, you don't really want to ever find out, right? Well, I appreciate very much you taking the time to talk to me. Okay. Well, thank you for wanting to talk to me. Have a great day. All right. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, The Entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.